Gracious God, help us to follow your way of the cross, which is the way of life. Amen. In this week that we call holy, the sermons are focusing on different aspects of the cross, which stands both at the center and at the end of this week, just as it stands both at the center and the end of our faith. In each of the sermons this week, I will consider a different aspect of the cross with the aim of having a deeper appreciation of its beauty, power, and glory when we stand in its shadow come Good Friday. For tonight, we consider how the cross is a sacrificial image. Through our liturgy, we have been shaped to see the cross in this way. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And I'm sure that we've all heard that idea before, that Jesus died for or because of our sins. But what do we mean by sacrifice? And what does it say about God that this, the violent and vulgar death of Jesus, is the means by which God has chosen to redeem the world? The first thing we must say about Jesus as an atoning sacrifice is that it is not something that God required. As we say in the creed, the life and the ministry of Jesus were done for us and for our salvation. Could God have forgiven sins in another way? Some theologians have argued no. They say that our sins put us in a debt to God, and a debt that can just be wiped away without a cost was never truly a debt, they would say. That somehow God's honor would be spoiled if a payment was not made. But I and many others disagree with that position. That's to put God into a box of human honor and economic relationships. But God is bigger than those sorts of systems. So could God have dealt with the problem of sin without the sacrifice of Jesus? Of course. God is God. God can do whatever God chooses to do. God is not bound by our ability or inability to understand what God is up to. Now, yes, it may well be true that because of our sin, we are in debt to God and we have insufficient funds to pay. But that does not mean that God is lacking anything. God is always perfect and does not need a sacrifice to be made in order for God to be whole or anything like that. So we must remember that the sacrifice of Jesus is not about appeasing or paying God. Rather, the sacrifice is done for our benefit. The second thing to bear in mind is that Jesus is the name for when the infinite enters into time. And as we know, time is contextual. When we talk about horsepower today, it's a very different concept from what it would have meant a couple of hundred years ago. A couple hundred years ago, if I told people that I routinely got around town with something with 200 horses, they would be astonished and think that I'm a very wealthy person. But no, I just have a minivan. It's very different. The same thing is true of sacrificing. Judaism was centered around sacrifices made in the temple. And we cannot understand the death of Jesus apart from that sacrificial system. 
Now, entire books are dedicated to this topic. I'm only going to scratch the surface of this concept tonight, and we'll focus on two specific kinds of sacrifice. The first is the sacrifice that was made on the Day of Atonement, known as Yom Kippur. The oversimplified but still mostly accurate foundation for this sacrifice is that the animal takes on the sins of the people. And then the goat or the bull is killed, its blood is released, and its flesh was offered on the altar. In burning the sacrifice, the animal is then transferred to the divine realm, and with it, the sins of the people are removed. But the blood of the sacrifice matters. We read in Leviticus, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you for making atonement for your lives for the altar. For, as life, it is the blood that makes the atonement. In other words, the life of the animal is given in exchange for the life of the people. Now again, could this forgiveness have happened in another way? Sure. But the way that culture understood forgiveness and atonement was through making these sorts of sacrifices. Just like when I proposed to my wife, I could have posed the question via email, or I could have baked her a cake and written the question on the icing. But in our culture, the custom is to get down on one knee and offer a ring, and so that's what I did. Or when we make a deal, we shake hands. Again, that's not necessary, but in our minds it cements it, and we know that an agreement has been made. Well, that's what atonement and forgiveness looked like for the people of Israel. It was how they understood life, sacrifice, and forgiveness. And because in Jesus, God wanted it to be clear that we are forgiven, that cultural language of sacrifice was used. And there's another sacrifice that was also common at this time. It's often referred to as the scapegoat. This goat was not slaughtered. Rather, it was sent out of the community to wander in the wilderness until eventually it would die. It's a similar idea to the sacrificed animal. The animal takes on the uncleanliness and the shame of the people and is then sent away, carrying those sins with it. And you'll notice when we get to Good Friday that the Gospels make it clear that Jesus' crucifixion took place outside the city walls of Jerusalem. It's the same idea. Jesus is the scapegoat who takes upon him the shame and the guilt of the world, is then exiled from the community to die. In modern terms, we would say that Jesus was canceled so that we might be redeemed. The sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross is the historical event and sign of our salvation. Could it have been done differently? Yes. But it happened in this way, so that we would have an event in time around which to orient our faith and see just how deep and broad God's love for us is that God did not redeem us with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood. This is what the author of Hebrews is pointing us toward. If the sacrifice of those animals in the temple covered the sins of the people, 
How much more does the sacrifice of the Messiah atone for the sins of the whole world? This is why it's so fitting for us at the Eucharist, when we are made present to the passion of Christ, to refer to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, because that is precisely what his sacrifice does. Using sacrificial language, even if it comes from a particular historical and cultural background, is still helpful to us because it points us to the deeper truths of God, the truth that something has to be lost in order for something to be gained, or that pain and death are not the final or worst things that can happen to us. These truths are written into the very being of existence, and through the sacrifice of Jesus, they are made clear to us all which is why we can find such joy and hope in the cross. That out of love for us and for our salvation, Jesus sacrificed his life so that we might gain eternal life in him.